Welcome, 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 everyone. 6 a.m. Run podcast. I don't even know what episode, but as always, I want to start off with the gratitude for all of you guys. Uh, Hami here, CEO, founder. These episodes, as you guys know, are brought to you by 6amrun.com. Definitely check out 6amrun.com for all your running nutritional needs. And uh, obviously, we are here because of that company and the successes from you guys as runners in supporting that company. But again, I want to give my gratitude to all of you listeners. Our community is amazing. So thank you so much. And, And I always start these episodes off with gratitude. I'm very excited. My next guest is a runner, a 6 a.m. runner, did the Goggins Challenge recently and, and has really put himself, you know, is our audience. And hopefully, Ed, you'll be in our community soon. But everyone, please welcome. I hope I'm pronouncing it, Ed Padgett. That's right. Yeah, Ed Padgett. Welcome to our community. Ed, I always say you're your own best hype man and introducer. Please introduce yourself and, and welcome to the show. Okay. Thank you, Hammy. Yeah, my name is Ed Padgett, and I'm a UK-trained osteopath. Uh, an osteopath is like a physical therapist or a chiropractor. And I've taken that aspect of training for health and increased my bandwidth into lifestyle medicine. So I help people look at things like their biomechanics, their nutrition, their sleep, their relationship with stress in order to make them healthier so that they can be recover from injury, recover from diseases. Wow. Let's start from the beginning. If you don't mind, I, I don't want to ask like age or anything personal, but let's start from the beginning. What got you into physical fitness even? Were you sports-oriented early on? I know UK is soccer. I'm going to just kind of stereotype a little bit. Did you play soccer? Tell me about the early days of Ed Padgett. Sure, thanks. So, yeah, I went to a school that was relatively sporty. And uh, interestingly, I wasn't particularly good at soccer, but I I love rugby and running. Okay. So I was on the track team and then the rugby team. And that led me to do a degree in exercise and sports science. And that at the time, I don't even remember the movie, Jerry Maguire, that came out. And we all wanted to be sports, what are they called, consultants or ma- agents. agents, exactly. Yeah. We all be sports agents. And then when we, when we kind of graduated, there wasn't, you know, there's one sport agent for every 100,000 graduates or whatever it is. So that didn't really lead to a career as such. Mm-hmm. But I was running, actually. I was running. I was doing triathlons. And I got injured with the dreaded iliotibial band friction syndrome. And I ended up seeing a chiropractor and a physiotherapist. And they were useful, but it didn't seem to go away. And I was working as a personal trainer, helping people get fit, manage their nutrition anyway. And someone recommended an osteopath. And I'd never heard of an osteopath before. And this guy took one look at me and he's like, yeah, okay, when's your next race? I'm like, two weeks. He's like, rubs his chin. He says, okay, you better come twice. And I was like, what? I just signed up for a, you know, a two-month program with the chiropractor and you're telling me to come twice? And he says, yeah, easy. Manipulates my foot, manipulates a little bit of my back, runner's knee went away. And I was like, okay, where do I sign? So then I basically signed up to become an osteopath from those two visits. It was amazing. Well, and then kind of that, that led you to this. Now I want to get into a little bit more medicine and what's a UK actually, because a lot of our listeners are US. So let me even dial it back. Here is so much sometimes fast food. Really, we got to, you know, we got to really sometimes stay clear on a diet. I've been to the UK before. UK is not like this. A lot of people eat more, I feel like, and and I have, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't been to the UK in many years, but 
European diet, I call it a little bit more, is not so much fast food. It's not as, you know, people might sometimes go here and three out of seven days a week, they do eat fast food. It's not like that in Europe. What was your diet like? You obviously, people don't see the video. We do audio only. You're a very fit person today. What is like the European, both when you were growing up and what was the European diet like? Yeah, it's a great question. So maybe when you visited the UK, things were different. But now the US and the UK are pretty much on a par. 50% obesity is normal. It is. It is. Yeah, uh, there is. They did a study in the US recently where they measured uh, what they call metabolic health, which is things like blood pressure, uh, hips, uh, waist circumference, lipids. And they found that over the age of 22, I think it is, 70% of Americans were had some sort of metabolic disease. And you kind of think, well, that's amazing. 70% or even, I think it was actually even a bit higher, maybe 80% had a metabolic disease. So those numbers actually apply to the UK quite well. However, what we haven't talked about is I actually left the UK 15, maybe 20 years ago. So I moved from the UK to Canada. And then from Canada, I am now in Nicaragua. So I'm in Central oh, wow. America right now. And so when I was growing up, the diet was pretty traditional. There was a UK meat and two veg type of diet. Fast food wasn't huge. The you know, McDonald's and Burger King and so on were considered by my family as, as American imports. And we avoided them, which is interesting. But nowadays, all that access to fast food has increased. And so that's why the health of the UK population has decreased slightly. So growing up for me, relatively healthy, I guess. But having said that, I want to tell you something here. I was in London for nine years, mm -hmm. taking my osteopathy degree and living and working there. And I didn't feel great, but I didn't really understand it. I was in my 20s. When I moved to Canada, it took me two years to realize that I was unhealthy back in England and to feel healthy. So it was two years later, I was like, huh, I feel completely different. What is that? Oh, it's health. That, that, that's the difference between living in London in the city and living in Canada in the countryside. Wow. Now let's get to the holistic a little bit. And I, I pulled up some of the bio stuff. Lifestyle medicine. This is yes. one of the things that you preach. Where did you get into that? And let's now get into kind of the, yeah, the here and now. Yeah. Thank you so much for the backstory to lead up to this. Talk about lifestyle medicine. What is this? And obviously one of the things, and, and looking at, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm going by your bio right now. Yeah. Why is it important to performance, which is what you correlated with? Yeah, sure. So lifestyle medicine is a trend in medicine that I've been watching closely for the last 10 years. And as an osteopath, we don't prescribe any medications. And just to clarify for U.S. listeners, there are osteopaths in the U.S. who are medical doctors. They're physicians. And you will go into an emergency room and you might be treated by an osteopath. You can't tell the difference between an MD and a doctor of osteopathy. Okay. They are exactly the same thing. However, when osteopathy was developed, it was meant to be a counterpoint to normal allopathic medicine. It was meant to be something that you did with your hands. And so a group left in about the early, well, 19, 1915, 1917, they left and they came to Europe and they taught the original osteopathy, which was manual therapy, similar to physiotherapy and chiropractic. And so that's what I've learned. So I've learned that old school osteopathy, where it was helping people recover through manual manipulation, massage, and that kind of thing. Wow. So... Our approach has always been a lifestyle approach. It's always been nutrition, exercise, movement, uh, stress management. And then to see modern medicine 
MDs taking on this approach as well has been uh, heartwarming for me because for years it's been the eight minutes consultation, figure out a quick diagnosis and then give a pill as the solution. But what we're realizing is that we end up with things like the opioid crisis, which was the addiction to painkillers. We end up, you know, everyone's obese. Joint surgery has not gone down with the amount of physicians that specialize in orthopedic surgery. It's in fact gone up. And so it's like, what is happening in our lives that's creating this sort of tsunami of health problems? And maybe we can tackle that using a non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical approach, which is lifestyle medicine. So we would look at, firstly, sleep. Because sleep is so important, and you know, the majority of Americans are sleep-deprived. And so from that, you can have high blood pressure, heart disease, you know, a whole bunch of things. So let's get the sleep under control first. Then we can look at diet and exercise. Those are two separate things. But once we've got those three areas dialed in, things are going to go better for a person. Then we can look at how they manage stress. Do they avoid toxic substances? So that would be uh, drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. Then we can look at more toxic substances in the environment like pollution and mold. And then lastly, what is their relationship to community? Uh, what is their relationship with their spouse and so on? And there's a, a fascinating study out of Harvard where they follow people for 75 years. And it's like, well, we do little short studies and we say, okay, this is great. You know, the person's uh, blood pressure dropped or whatever. But is that intervention going to last for the whole of their lives? How do we know? Well, turns out this study can show us that. So what they did is they took a bunch of people, uh, over a thousand people, 75 years ago, and they followed them every year of their life right up till now. They're, they're in their 80s and 90s now. They've had kids and their kids have had kids and they started following the generations. And so they looked at them in their 40s and 50s and they took their blood markers and so on. And they said, well, what was happening in their 40s and 50s that led to a healthy 80-year-old? Turns out it wasn't their blood pressure or their triglycerides. It was the health of their relationships with their significant other. So to me, that is fascinating. Yeah. And then this really is. And I want to say something, too, because I, I think one thing you mentioned in this, in the sleep, one of the things we had another guest that was telling me is sleep and is your view on sleep. Is that when the body is truly, really repairing itself? Like I, I've heard so many stories of the importance of sleep and what your body's doing during sleep. You may know better than I do, and I'd like to kind of dive into that. I know myself, for example, I am a 6 a.m. runner. I do get up early to get the kids ready for school and do so many things. But I hate the fact that I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes I can't get to bed before midnight, right? I'm doing this. I'm answering emails. I, I know I need to put my phone down. The people that do fully get there maybe can have the discipline, let's say, to go to bed at 10 p.m., to shut the world off and do that. Do you see a correlation with sleep and success and more health? That's a good question. So a lack of sleep decreases performance, so cognitive performance and physical performance. And here's an interesting thing. They did this study on a bunch of CEOs, so hyper-mentally performing individuals. Mm -hmm. And they asked them how long they slept for. So four hours, five hours, six hours. And then they asked them to complete uh, cognitive tests. Mm -hmm. The ones who slept the less self-reported better results on the test. You know, like, wow. you know, you take a test, and you're like, yeah, I, did, I nailed it. I did really well. Well, it turns out the ones who slept less thought they did the best, but they actually had the worst outcomes. It was like that they were drunk. 
So it's like oh, yeah. two or three beers. So it turns out that these CEOs, they will spout, you know, why do you need to sleep for more than four hours a night? I got to get stuff done. And I'm a high performing individual. But it turns out the facts are not in their favor. They well, think they're high performing, but actually they're making mistakes. I do love that. And now let's continue to kind of move on. I love that. Let's move on now to body aches and body pains. One of the sure. things when, before we get into this, you know, and you fit in this mold with no disrespect, but our audience is, you know, that 30, 35 really plus. A lot of our audience who use our products, who also have now subscribed to this podcast, you know, we are a group of, you know, adults nearing the second, I call it the second half of life. It's our, our, yeah. our life halftime, right? If, you, if you're a sports person. And it's about, you know, pain. Your body is just breaking down, but we want to slow that process down. Amino acids, nutrition, I know is so important. I know you talk about scoliosis and back pain, but mm. I want to bring it back to just overall pain and issues that you just face with natural body body issues. And then half of our audience, right? I know that a lot of these pain issues that we all face, they do come from us being former athletes and beating our bodies up. Listen, and I want to say this, I am not a pro athlete by any means, and I can only imagine what their bodies go through. But a lot of us have done sports for a majority of our lives and then rec league sports and then lifted weights and went to the gym, right? Your body is, while you're staying in shape, you also are tearing your body down in the process. And that's a fact, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on, and I know you bring it back to your specialty being scoliosis and back pain, but can you kind of tie that into even what our audience is probably going through? Exactly. Yeah. And I am part of the audience. Yeah. I'm 44. So I've been, um, you know, an amateur athlete my whole life. And there's a phrase I really like. It's kind of the legacy of life catches up on you. You know, like the knee injury you had from college basketball or even high school basketball that you didn't rehab properly because you didn't know any better at that time. And time out on that. Runners, I know, want to ignore injuries and finish the marathon, finish the race. Oh, yeah. So right now, even in later life, we're really being jerks about this and ignoring it. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. You're right. And you know, I'm there as well, right? I've, this knee pain that got me into osteopathy originally, it didn't go away 100% from that treatment. It's to do with training load. And if I decide to go out and r- try and run a half marathon or a marathon, it will sneak up on me because I'm not prepped for that. But wow. I still have the mindset of a 20-year-old. And this is the biggest, the biggest problem that we all have. And so when I work with men, particularly, and they're like, you know, I need to lose some weight, get back into shape. I'm going to just do some of the same stuff I did when I was in my late teens and early 20s. Right. I'm like, okay, stop. Don't do that. You are not in your late teens and early 20s. You know, you're 10, 15 pounds heavier. Your body's older. Your cardiovascular fitness isn't there. And we, you know, one thing I look at with runners now is what I call biomechanical efficiency. And okay. it's not something that's taught. So when we're younger, we just run, right? And we just run. And some of us run long distances. Some of us run short distances. And, and that's mm-hmm. fine. But as we get older and we start churning out the miles and it becomes a habit or routine, there's this efficiency aspect that gets overlooked. And so Mm. my personal journey on this has been going into barefoot shoes because barefoot shoes leaves you nowhere to hide when it comes to the way Uh, you run. mm -hmm. You can't land on your heel. You can't plod. You know, you have to be upright. It just doesn't feel nice. So I always sort of think about like if a person is barefoot and they're running on gravel, you're going to be very light on your feet and you're going to stand upright. You're not going to land heavily on your heel. 
And if you think about that, that's the correct way for your joints to load. They're not meant to be pounded on. And, and I don't know if you, some other guests have mentioned this, but when you wear a big cushioning on your heel, your body joints actually want to feel the ground. So you actually right. hit the ground harder when you wear cushioned shoes, which is weird. So mm -hmm. the cushioning makes your body, it's like having earmuffs on for your ankle and knee joints. They can't hear the ground. And so they want to hit it harder so they can hear it. So going thinner soles actually makes you land softer. So that's one of the things that I would look at in older runners. I don't recommend it for everyone because there's a, a lots of reasons why people can't go barefoot, but it's the efficiency of running is key. Right. Wow. And then I, I love that. And thank you for that. And now next thing is I want to equate this to life. One of the things, and, and this is, you know, in one of your next bullets is talking about rat race. Let me tell you, I want to bring it back ad nauseum repeated on this podcast. This for me I don't like the corny line of health is wealth, but let me tell you this. It is so true. I am a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better businessman when I'm at my healthiest. I think your physical fitness, what people don't understand is the most important thing. You cannot be professionally successful. You cannot be a great parent. You cannot be a great business person. You cannot be great at other things in life if you cannot physically be well first, in my opinion. I think that if you really put your physical fitness as a number one priority, I know this sounds very vain, but I do think that that allows you to be successful in other aspects. And if you look at the top CEOs, and I'm getting to your rat race bullet here in a second, even the top CEOs like Tim Cook for Apple, who pays $4 million a year in security, that's because he knows he needs to be alive to run that company, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. You know what I mean? But now your rat race and getting out of it and why you think that's important and why you and your show and in your stuff, you talk about success. Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, I'll just back up a little bit. When I'm working with a new client, so I work online and I coach people through this lifestyle medicine model. I usually start with what I call mission first. You know, what is their mission? And then we get into mission, movement, mojo. But once a person's mission is clear, not everyone has a clear mission, so we, we coach sure. that as well. But once the mission's clear, everything else falls into place. So for you, for example, you're the CEO of 6AM Run, you're making great health products, and you're a father and a husband. So could you do that and still be true to yourself if you were overweight, obese, back pain, and, you know, no, it, it doesn't work. The mission is there. And so then everything else falls into place underneath that. Are you going to eat junk food every morning for breakfast? No, right. that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, there's lots of questions, but they fall in underneath the mission. And, and I, use, I used to work with Olympic athletes in Canada. And one of the things I noticed with them is that when they have the mission of making it to the Olympics or winning a gold at the Olympics, everything else falls into place. Their sleep falls into place. Their diet falls into place. Their training schedule falls into place. But once they retired from that, once they retired from competitive sport, it all went right. to whatever. It didn't work because they lost the mission. So then they had right. to really struggle to find themselves again. And so come back to what I talk about, the rat race. So I had a clinic. So I left London, got to Canada, finally realized what healthy water was, what no pollution was, how I could take care of myself. Then I had a couple of kids. And ran a big business. It was the, well, big in inverted commas. It was the biggest clinic in Canada for osteopathy. Yeah. But that's only because there weren't that many clinics. But anyway, 
So I was running this clinic, telling people, hey, you know, you'll work in this corporate job and perhaps you should work a little less, sleep a little bit more, eat healthier. And then I realized one day that I wasn't doing all the things I'm telling them to do. You know, I was running my own company and working ridiculous hours, as, as we all know. And I realized I was being a hypocrite. So my health started to suffer slightly, my mental health a little bit, my uh, physical health, you know, the role model I wanted to be for my children and my clients wasn't there. And an opportunity came to sell the clinic. So my wife and I, she's an osteopath as well, or was my ex-wife now, but we sold the clinic and we moved to Nicaragua to live in the sun, to eat fresh fruit and vegetables, to teach the children Spanish, to get them by the water, and not to have six months of winter, which is another thing in Canada that's, uh, that's the downside of where we used to live. Great for skiing, not great for health. So we came down here, and now finally, out of the rat race, we sold everything. We sold our house, we sold our clinic, we sold all our belongings, came down here. Well, can I back up? And I want your opinion on this. What vitamin D is crucial. Yes. I found this out myself, especially now as we come out of the pandemic. What I want to back up, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Dr. Patrick, but like one of the things, vitamin D is so crucial. I had, before I started 6am run, I had a job in Minnesota and I don't know why I kept coming back from this job. Um, I would have to go there a few times a month to work. And I was coming back tired, fatigued, feeling like crap. And I had a, a great doctor here in Delaware tell me when I told him that, he's like, was there any sunny days when you were over there? And I was like, no. He was like, were you even outside at all? I was like, no, I was in the office working the whole two weeks. He was like, he gave me prescribed vitamin D. He knew, um, and there's these, uh, it's this extensive like vitamin D prescription, but it's to, to give you influx. So real quick, your move, not just, it's not, I don't want people to think too, it's not just, oh, I want to be in the sun. Being in the sun is very important. That's I just wanted to get that out there. Go ahead. No, you're 100% right. And you know, one of the things that cued me into this was as the vitamin D levels became more understood, my clients started getting tested. And the majority of them in Canada are low vitamin D. And it's there's a correlation with MS, which you don't really get MS if you live near the equator. You only get it in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. And so that's probably to do with vitamin D levels. So yes, they're hugely important for many, many aspects of our health. And potentially even with, with the pandemic, they could be important with that. There's still research coming out about that. Right, right. So I would get up in my house. I wouldn't necessarily run at that time. I would go into my car, which was part of, it's in the garage, it's part of the house. So I wouldn't go outside. I would drive to work. There was a garage at work. This was during the winter. And I would work all day in the, mm -hmm. in the clinic. And then I would drive home in the dark. Like I wouldn't even go outside. I wouldn't touch the ground. I wouldn't wow. touch the earth. And that to me is just like not the way we should be living. Yeah. And th so the question becomes is, you know, why was I doing that? Like, what's the mission there? So the mission at that time was building this clinic. Well, I've done that. The mission was to help people. I've done that, but I've done it at a price. Sure. And that price was my own health and the health of my children as well. Yeah. So hence moving to here, hence a different lifestyle. Uh, you know, I'm sitting outside now. The sun's not on me directly, but it's reflecting. A, there's a swimming pool just there. I mean, I couldn't be in a better place for my health right now, I don't think. Right, no, I, I love that. Now let's kind of continue as we're talking. What I love to, you know, diet, we, we actually, we, we covered diet. What do you feel, we actually, a lot of this stuff we talked about, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of just going through some of the things. We talked about sleep even. This is what I wanna talk about. 
let's go to nutrition. And this is as we come into the fourth quarter of this conversation, let's wrap it up with nutrition. Let me ask you this. So we actually did, I did an interview, uh, I believe is it ayahuasca, right? Yeah. 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 I've done that. <laughs> let's tiptoe around ayahuasca a little bit because technically some ayahuascas view DMT. Am I right? Yeah. It's an hallucinogenic drug. So it would be illegal in some states. Yeah. What is the benefits? I know people travel to the Amazons, people travel to certain yeah. places to be able to do an ayahuasca kind of even cleanse and take part in it in a secure way. You know about this. It's part of you know your bio and yeah. you've researched ayahuasca plants. Do you want to kind of talk about that for a little bit? Sure, sure, sure. So if we think of mission, mission, movement, mindset, and then there's another one, mojo. So mojo to me is like, what makes you tick? Is there right. a spiritual aspect to your existence? Some people are, are into that. Some people aren't into that. But I find that you know, it's hugely important. There's a book written by a, a Holocaust survivor called Man's Search for Meaning. Okay. And in that, he talks about you know, what do we do in life, what it's all about. And he was in these prisoner of war camps in Germany for years and years and years. And he comes to a very spiritual uh, understanding of life. And I feel as though the spirit aspect is important. Now, we can go down the religious routes, we can go down the more creation routes, uh, or we can go down all sorts of different routes. But in the Amazon, the tribes down there use this plant called ayahuasca. It's actually a combination of plants to produce a, a hallucinogenic effect that can help guide them in their future lives. So they do it as a rite of passage. Wow. Now, interestingly... Across everybody, almost everybody who takes this plant, they have a very similar experience. Okay. Initially. So there's always a colors. If you have a voice, it's usually a female. And so it's, it's kind of interesting that that's not just one person's take on it. It's the majority. And so you take this plant and you go on essentially a trip. And the plant can show you this is the way it is. It could be just be in your brain. I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Or it could be the plant showing you. The plant shows you aspects of your life that uh, you could do better in. It shows you aspects of your life that uh, you could do in the future. And interestingly, there's a ton of research around this now for people with addiction problems. What it can do is it can break neural pathways in one evening. So you imagine, let's say you're an alcoholic and you're sober, but you go into a bar and there's cigarette smoke, there's people laughing, everyone's drinking. And now those are all triggers that may lead you to wanting a drink. But if you didn't go into the bar, you wouldn't have that trigger. Does that sure. make sense? Yes. So that pathway is well-worn in the brain. Turns out people use our ayahuasca can actually break those triggers in one night. So Tim Ferriss, he used a phrase which I really like. It's like one night of ayahuasca is like 10 years of therapy. And I think that's brilliant. Wow. So everyone has a personal experience. But when I did it, I was shown things around my work and around my family and my lifestyle, which profoundly impacted me going forward from that night. Wow. And was it done in safety? Was someone kind of monitoring you who wasn't on it? Like, I just get kind of, my freaked out thing is like that kind of like, is someone's, I don't say sober, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Is someone who's got their wherewithal going to kind of be able to kind of monitor and make sure there's no, exactly. like, I just, with hallucinogenics, you just, I've never done that, but it's crazy. Right. So we're very same in age, right? You know, yeah. I'm 42. I grew up in the Nancy Reagan, say no to drugs. Yeah, campaigns. yeah, me too, me too. No, I never but, did anything. But I now, as I learn and I do more, and we, I think the internet is why, right? Like 
CBD, marijuana, legalization of marijuana. My personal belief is marijuana is safer than alcohol. Yeah. My personal belief now, but I still don't do it because I'm not going to start smoking weed at 40. You know what I mean? Um, I just, I don't like smoke in general, smoking cigarettes, none of that. I have tried an edible. I will admit that. And so I'm, I'm more opening to things. Right. And I feel like as more research comes out, I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but hallucinogenics still kind of scare me because I feel like I don't want to not be in control. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I'd never done anything like that before. And in fact, I actually did it twice. The first time, uh, nothing happened. And the second time was very intense. But you have a shaman, a lead, who will introduce you to the plant, tell you how the ceremony is going to go, and he will moderate and conduct the ceremony. Now, there are places in Costa Rica. So I'm in Nicaragua, Central America. The country below us is Costa Rica, where you can go. There'll be a psychologist, a board-certified physician and a shaman all in the same area because you're right there is a stigma to hallucinogenics and people don't want what they call it in inverted commas a bad trip or they want to be able to coach be coached through that which is understandable so you can do that a variety of ways i was friends with the shaman i knew him our kids actually went to the same school and that gave me confidence to do that with him or you can fly to the amazon not speak a word of Spanish and spend three days with Amazonian shamans who've done this their whole lives, but they don't know anything about Western psychology. I've heard some people have had bad experiences, as in you can hallucinate sort of more negative things, we could call it, or you could go through your own, see your own death, that kind of thing. It depends how your take on it. Some, I think the shamans in the, in the Amazon would say that's amazing and you, you know, you've had this portal experience. I don't know. But if you were to do it, perhaps do it in the safety of, uh, of Western medicine. Last part about that. There's a little bit, I don't know if you touched on this. I know sometimes my, my brain probably was picking bits and pieces of what right. you were just saying. What about, a, there's a cleansing aspect, right? I've heard that yes. you could have great bowel movements. I've heard that yeah. you could throw up, but it's all good, right? Like it's cleansing you. And is that true? So I was told that the Peruvians who initiated this ayahuasca movement, or they've been doing it for years, they actually seek the cleansing. So they want to be sick and they want to have diarrhea. The hallucinogenic aspect of it isn't really what they're after. Whereas Westerners, we don't want the being sick or diarrhea. We just want the hallucinogenic aspect. And I was the same. So imagine you're sitting in a circle with a bunch of strangers. They have a plastic bucket next to you and the guy saying, yeah, it will help you purge if you need to just, you know, just be sick in the bucket or there's a washroom over there. So I lie down, I drink the drink and I lie down. I'm like, hey, ayahuasca, if you're there, like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Can we make a deal? I don't want to do the purging in front of people. Right, right. That's it. Yeah. This voice came into my head and said, hey, no problems. No purging going to happen during the ceremony. And I was like, all right, that was easy. So I felt great. Then the ceremony finishes, the little bell goes off, the lights come on, uh, people start sitting up, and I'm still tripping anyway. And the voice goes, hey, you remember at the beginning we said no purging during the ceremony? I'm like, yeah, thanks for that. Ayahuasca can be a bit of a trickster, a bit of a joker. The, the female voice, it cracks jokes, and it says, well, look, the ceremony's over. And I'm like, uh-huh. And then my stomach goes into like a knot, and I'm like, oh, my, and I had to run to the bathroom. But it was literally when the bell rang at the end of the ceremony. Uh, so yeah, right. I had I had some purging. <laughs> but in your experience, and and also what you've learned now, but apparently it, it's a cleanse. It's a good thing, right? Yeah, I mean that's one way of looking at it. I think from a Western point of view, you're taking in a slightly toxic substance that your body wants to get rid of. That's how I would explain right. it from a Western point of view. 
This was a great conversation. I know our time is limited today and I apologize. I was running late and I'd, I'd love to have you on for maybe like a second time. Wow, that would be fantastic. This is really great. Two things I want to do real quick. One, I know I asked kind of my bullets off of your profile and you were amazing at going through everything, but let me give you the kind of like the last word, if you don't mind anything I missed and you want to just kind of say to our runners and then be um, our running community and then be I will put, I have a lot of the info. I want to put your bio, your website, everything. It's all going to go in the bio of this podcast when we publish it on Spotify, on Apple, on everything. But if you don't mind, also tell people how they can get in touch with you. But yeah, last word and how people can get in touch with you, sir. Perfect. I think for runners, if you're looking to improve your efficiency, don't skew the running drills. So hill drills, speed drills, you know, don't just grind out the miles, do something different. For health, general health and wellness, you can go to my website, that's edpaget.com, and I have a blog on there, and I look at all these different aspects of sleep, nutrition, movement, hydration, and there's just super short articles where you can read and just pick up tips and tricks for how to take a holistic aspect to your health and well-being. Awesome. Ed, thank you so much. Guys, yeah, like I said, definitely, this is going to be a great one. I can't wait to publish this one. And uh, I thank you for your time. But definitely, we got to stay in touch. And we don't do video, unfortunately. Maybe we'll put a couple snippets on YouTube of this. But uh, Joe, I see that you got the sun and and I love your backdrop there in, in Nicaragua and enjoy that. And definitely, let's stay in touch too. And I'll just show you here. like That's a little different from Canada. Yeah, I know much. Enjoy. Go enjoy that. And Hey, if you need anything for for some of your running or anything out there, we can get it to you internationally. So, Ed, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you so much.